time for another edition of Unlocked with Fox's Brock Hewitt. I'm Lance Taylor for the next round. It is on Disrupt the Media. Like, subscribe, give us a thumbs up. It is always brought to you by MyBookie. Use that code next round. Get that first deposit bonus from MyBookie.ag. Happy holidays to the West yes, Coast. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What uh, best gift you got under the tree was? Oh, I can't believe I got a pause like this. Now, this is the ironic gift of the year. I've got a neighbor. He's retired, and all he does mm-hmm. is blow leaves. And it drives me absolutely insane. And when I okay. say all the time, I'm not exaggerating. I'm talking about every day he blows leaves. And it's loud. He's got, I mean, for that guy, he's got a professional loud gas blower. Yeah, so this has become kind of a part of the show on the next round. And I've sent out some social media. I've actually gone to his house before and mm. asked him to stop blowing leaves. Mm. Um, but he continues to do so. So girlfriend's family gave me a leaf blower. Now, I don't know if if they knew the story behind it, but I thought it was a little ironic that mm-hmm. I got a gift that is a leaf mm-hmm. blower. Mm-hmm. I'm not a guy. I used to do landscaping when I would come home from college. But since then, uh, Rodrigo does all of my yep. yardscape, yep. and yep. I am completely fine with that. So uh, what about you? Anything good? Mm, got some, uh, got some clothes. Uh, I'm pretty easy. I, I don't need much. Uh, my girls know dad. Well, they got me some bath salts, um, some bubble bath stuff. Cause I'm a bath guy. I think I've told you that before. Oh no! Oh, I'm a bath guy. That's where I do my thinking, bro. That's where my mind like gets my show ready. The I love day. your mind, but do you at least get out and shower after you bathe? At times, at times, okay. but you got to always use bubbles. Like Ben Hartsock, we were doing a show on Sirius one time, and and he's like, yeah, you know, you talk about all these baths, and I took calls. We took calls from across the country, the guys that said, you know, it's actually pretty good for your nervous system, and, you know, it's great for my back and my neck. And Get a hot and tub, though. You're more I do of have a man, hot tub. I, I, have a, I have a hot tub. I have a hot tub. But poor Ben, he tried to take a bath. He's like, yeah, my, my wife ran the bath for me. I got in there, and he's like, I just kept looking at my ham roll the whole time. I'm like, no, 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 no. You need bubbles. I will never take a bath unless yeah. I've got a lot of soap bubbles. Like I ain't looking at myself. So no, it's it's booing. So I mean, it's gonna it's gonna bob straight up. So you've got to have bubbles. I agree with you. I hadn't yeah. taken one of those in a long time, yeah. and I just got one of the. I got my master bath redone, and so I've got one of those claw tubs that kind of sits in the middle. Okay. And it's just, it hadn't been used. And I've had the, the master bath redone for like four months and I've just got no desire to jump in yeah. there. Okay, that's fine. That's yeah. Right, so my kids got me, uh, you know, I'm a West Coast guy and, you know, I'm a Rams guy and Lakers yep. and Dodgers and USC. And they got me a candle that's supposedly supposed to smell like Dodger Stadium. Oh, I really? Don't know, I don't know if you've seen this gimmick out there now. It's probably a 40 or $50 candle, but they've got them from a lot of the major campuses. Like they gave me Lawrence, Kansas, because I spent a lot of time in Kansas doing play-by-play. Yeah. So they gave me Lawrence, Kansas, and Dodger Stadium. And I was like, what is wow. Dodger Stadium going to smell like? Um, Money. Like, well, like <laughs> like criminals, like crime, and some beer. A little smog, yes. Yeah, uh-huh. some, some money, though. <laughs> so I lit it, and I really I couldn't like figure out what it smelled like. It smelled okay. It didn't necessarily smell like Dodger Stadium. But I thought it was a unique gift. That is cool. That, uh, that's very cool. What did Lawrence, Kansas smell like? Um, same thing. I couldn't really tell. Okay. It was supposed couldn't to be really like uh, oak and championships and nylon and a bunch Hardwood. of bullshit that nice. doesn't exist. Good. Um, okay. So, um, speaking of West Coast, Pac-12 is about to come to a conclusion as we record mm-hmm. this. USC is about to play their final Pac-12 game, and obviously Washington is one of the four last standings. So, uh, the Pac-12 will at least go out with a little uh, college football playoff flair there. But you were a guy that grew up not only 
played in the league, watched your older brother play in the league. Um, you grew up going to games. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really is a sad day. I know SEC fans, Big Ten fans don't really care. But if you're a college football fan, the Pac-12, Pac back to the Pac-8, Pac-10, Pac-12 gave us some incredible moments, especially when people just wanted to continue to watch college football into the wee hours of Sunday. And to me, it's a sad day, and it's a sad conclusion. Yeah, it, it uh, golly, there's been all these moments, Lance, where it kind of hits you, you know, and for me, getting to do the final Civil War in Apple Cup, I think we talked about this, and you know, that was one of my first times that I've ever called my bosses at Fox and just said, hey, for whatever it's worth, you know, I will do, our crew will do whatever to be a part of that, and remember, we did the game in Eugene, we took buses up, guys didn't sleep, camera crew, like, set up, I mean, one to the other, and when it hit me that day that this is the last time, right, it, both in Eugene and in Seattle, like this is, I know they're going to keep playing and like Iowa and Iowa state, and we'll see how long that ultimately does last, but not as conference members, not at the end of the year, not, not with all the history and not with all of the, everything that comes with a century of playing one another as brothers. Now you're going to be, you know, just college football peers. And it's going to be a really neat non-conference game in September, like the Cyhawk, Iowa, Iowa state, but it won't be the apple cup. It won't be the civil war. You know, those days, days are gone. So it hit me then I got to be honest, though, Lance, every time I look at these projections for next year, like the Big Ten, and here's the you know the four projected best team, I'm like, it just doesn't feel right. Like Oregon, SC, Washington, Big Ten. Like, what, what are we doing? Stanford and Cal in the ACC? Yeah, like, what are we, I, what are we even talking about here? What are we doing? I get Texas and Oklahoma in the SEC. I mean, at least it seems kind of like a fit but somewhat regional I, and somewhat yeah. unbelievable fan bases and somewhat close in geographic proximity yeah, i don't like any of the uh, realignment to be honest no. with you. i mean i like the original members you yep. know you can add some pieces here and there um but i absolutely hate this so if i asked you your top pack 12 moment actually playing and then just as a fan your your top 12 pack mm. moment um moment that just sitting on the couch or in the stands. Well, I would say the 91 Husky National Championship team. And part of this is prisoner of the moment. We had Billy Joe Hobart on a podcast that I did. And and Billy Joe played for my dad. You know, he was originally Bill and then he became Billy. And then by the time he got to UW, it was Billy Joe. And there weren't <laughs> I guess there weren't any more names he could have added to that. Are you being serious? He really was like Bill in high school? He was Bill Hobart when he transferred in his sophomore year. He was Bill Hobart. And then he became Billy by the end when he was a state champion. And then when he went to UW, he became Billy Joe. And maybe if he'd have been a Super Bowl winner, I don't know, Billy Joe Paul Hobart, maybe he would have just continued <laughs> to add, I don't know. But yeah, that 91 team for me, just growing up, I was at that Rose Bowl. I can still picture Lance. Have you been to – you're going to the Rose Bowl. Yeah, yeah. Well, been? I've, been, I've been to – I've never been to – this is weird. So, 09 was national championship, went Alabama, Texas. 13 with Florida State and Auburn was at that game. This will be the first true Rose Bowl that okay. I, I will attend. Well, I don't know if you remember the first time. And in, in, in the Rose Bowl Stadium, it's a little bit like Dodger Stadium, back to your candle. It's not like from afar, aesthetically, they're the most beautiful. They're older. They're, you know, but you walk in, especially the Rose Bowl. And I can still, like, I'm colorblind. I don't have a great sense of smell. You know, I got big hands. I could throw a football a little bit, but that was about it, talent wise. But when I walked into and through, like, you kind of walk around and then you go through the tunnel to your seat. And I can still close my eyes and just picture the colors on that field, the paint of Michigan, the paint of the purple of Washington, the, you know, the road, like, oh my gosh, it was just magical. I mean, it was truly like 
you know, they had a helicopter. I think the day before the game, I was watching the news because they had a little rain. Were you a like, uh, junior or senior in high school? Ooh, in 91, no. I would have been like eighth grade, seventh, eighth grade. Oh, okay. Yep. So, nope, I was a junior high, but totally in the ball. And Damon was redshirting that year. Billy was playing. You know, we took the caravan, drove it 20 hours from Puyallup to L.A. We couldn't afford to fly as a family. But we're down there and, yeah, just walking through and seeing the glow and the just the majesty and the magical nature of that. And then an unbelievable game to boot. So that would be by far just the biggest, most memorable conference moment as they were national champs. Um, I would say, sheesh. The Apple Cups were all fun and entertaining. We played at Arizona State. The most, you know, memorable moment. We, you know, completed a fourth and sixteen after I butchered a third and three option pitch, and we were top ten in the country. ASU top ten in the country. First game of the year, and yeah, and have a fourth and 17, 68 yard completion in the final thirty seconds of the game. Uh, that one was, yeah, that was one I'll never ever forget. One for the wow, ages. Wow, wow. So yeah. back to the colorblind. I know we talked about this like back in September on Unlocked. And by the way, it's Fox's Brock. You were brought to you by Lance'sLock.com. Jump on board. We've got the NFL playoffs coming up, which we will get to. We've still got a lot of bowl games. We've got uh, NBA college basketball action. Always a free play. Lance'sLock.com. Um, so you can see purple ish. You can so, see green though. I can't differentiate. So any of your colorblind listeners that are going to watch this are going to nod along with me when I say this, because a lot of them are going to be in the same vein as I am. I can't differentiate purple and blue. If you stuck up a purple and a blue right next to each other, I'm, I'm just guessing if you put green and Brown right next to each other, I'm just guessing so I, I know it's in those families. Like I know that's a yeah. blue or purple. I know that's a green or brown. I know that, you know, some of the oranges and reds get a little tough sometimes too. So differentiating those are difficult for me. Wow. So I yeah. wonder if you really see purple or if you see blue. Now, so there are some greens. Like I'm wearing, like this is kind of an olive, but it could almost be a brown. So I'm not really yeah. sure. No, I'd have no clue if that's yeah. green or brown. So no like chance. a really dark blue could be black yes. to me okay. it could be like a, a gray so i i think maybe everybody's got a little bit of about that but i think you obviously no that's just whiskey brain damage for you that's okay. what you're saying yeah that's, that's possible <laughs> but do you think you see in purple or blue you have no idea no idea yeah i just know it's in that family i just know it's okay. in that purple or blue family okay, when i say regal like blue mm -hmm. is cold i'll never forget there was a movie called um it was called uh, Mask, not The Mask, but Mask. And it was with, it's a true story about Rocky Dennis. Eric yeah. Stoltz played the kid. Yeah, the was in yep. Yep. Yeah. But he was dating, um, I think it was Helen Hunt was the character. Or, um, God, it wasn't Helen Hunt. It was the other chick. I'll think of it in a second. Laura Dern. And he's trying to teach her character who is blind how to be able to, like, what, what colors mean. Mm. And so he does the hot with the red and the cold mm. with the blue. So, like, to me, blue is kind of cold, and then purple mm -hmm. like regal when you mm -hmm. think of, like, something. So, I don't know yeah. what pops to you. No, I think that's totally fair. And come Monday night, that purple is going to look really good. It's one of the best uniforms. Frankly, Texas and, and Washington, two of the better uniforms in all of college football, in my opinion. You know, yeah, Texas so is very, very simple. That gold Washington with the purple just pops. It's going to be unbelievable in the Sugar Bowl. And I need to know right now, Lance. Are you taking Washington in the four points? Yeah, I want to I want to get to this with you because somebody called earlier and they asked, you know, how, how do you rank the quarterbacks? How do you rank the coaches? And the quarterbacks, I said Penix was one. Mm 
Yeah. I went Ewers two, I went Milrow three, and I went McCarthy four. Now, J.J. hasn't been 100%. I get that. He hasn't been in spots where he needed to take a game over, but that's how I see it with the way they're playing right now. And the coaches, I went Nick Saban one, Kalen DeBoer two, Harbaugh three, and Sarkeesian four. And Dunaway's like, no, Sark's number two. And I'm like, Sark was 34 and 29 at four years at Washington. My yeah. man DeBoer is 24 and two right now. The dude, all he does is beat ranked teams. All he does is win one score games. Yeah. And when you win one possession games against quality opponents, to me, a lot of that is coaching. Yes. So I think DeBoer is number two. I think Washington is going to win this game. You're the expert. I'll let you get more into it. Um, if you say Washington, people are going to call you a homer, but I know you're objective. Yep. And to me, there are three teams playing with house money in this college football playoff. That is Washington in year two under DeBoer. That is Texas in year three under Sarkeesian. I think based on where Alabama was in September and where they are right now in all the national championships they have, Alabama fans should be yep. through the roof. They're where they are right now. And then the, the, the one team that has to win is Michigan. The other three coaches, I think it's a great year for all three of those fan bases and coaches. Um, with all that said, yeah. how do you think this thing plays out? Yeah, I would probably, uh, I'd probably take those four points in Washington. I think it could be a three point game, right? I mean, I think I, I could see a 31, 28 Washington win a 35, 31, you know, um, I could certainly see Texas, you know, find a way at 31, 28, but those four points, that feels like a big number to me. This feels closer to a pick them. I saw both teams twice this year. I will say this to you, Lance. If you had my producer, Bo Garrett, on, if you had Jason Benetti and Allison Williams, if you had Darren Foster, my director, on, and we had a, you know all of us on this call, and you asked us point blank who was the prettiest team, like the, just physically, the eye test, which team that you guys saw, and we saw all of them this year. I didn't see the SEC. I didn't see Bama. But we saw every one of these other teams. Who was the prettiest to the eye? No question it was Texas. I mean, we, we walked in there. And I remember this vividly. We had them versus Rice in the opener, and it was 195 freaking degrees. It was so hot. But thankfully, they had their their pregame or the, the day before workout indoors. And I remember walking in, and Lance, I'm like, man, I don't know if it's the short shorts or what it is, but every one of these guys just had ham hocks. Like, they spent their time in the offseason, step-ups and squats. <laughs> and, and then I looked to their D-line, and I had to call their SID over, Bianca over. I said, hey, man. They don't have numbers on. Like, I think I know who Tavon, I mean, I know who Tavondre Sweat is. He looks different than all the rest. But, and I'm pulling out my little board here for you. But walk me through which one is Bratton, which one's Collins, which one's Murphy, which one is Trill Carter, which one, because they all looked, you know, huge and massive on that D line. And that doesn't happen. Like, you go to Washington's walkthrough, you'd be like, okay, there's Thule, the Thule Nasanoa, you know, he's a big 305 pound guy. And, you know, there's Ale, he's 330 converted guard. And then there's pretty big drop-off <laughs> to their backups. And that's most common all around college football, not at Texas. So that hey, struck I, me week one right away. I think there's something to that. You know, in 2009, going back to my first Rose Bowl experience, Mac Brown brought Texas in yep. and Alabama, you know, in year three under Nick Saban. And getting off the bus, you could tell a difference. I mean, Alabama was that physical team. Yes. And, and, and in 2012, it was even more obvious against Notre Dame. Yep. But there is something to that. Yes, there is. And, and it didn't surprise me that they went on the run this year. And when Oklahoma beat them, they got them running. And that will be hugely critical Monday night. If this is like a three and out, if this is a five play punt, you know, if they don't, because that's what they did to Oregon in the, in the Pac-12 title game. If you remember how that game started, 
Washington had a long sustained drive. They threw a bubble screen and flat routes and bubbles and, and they got Oregon running and just gassed because that was the biggest, best defensive line in front seven and certainly west of the Rocky Mountains, but they gassed them. And then the next drive, they go down score, they get a three and out and it's 10, nothing, right? They just jump on them right away. And you're like, wow, you know, that, that, if they can do that to Texas, because that's what Oklahoma did. Oklahoma ran to Vondre Sweat. There were times, Lance, I was watching that game tape and he couldn't, like, there was a run play and he literally, like, gets off the ball, takes two steps and then just, like, I ain't running that thing down. Like, I can't move. (laughs) I just, you know, they didn't sub and they played with a little bit of tempo and they just kept those bigs on the field and, and did to Texas what really no one else did. And that's wore them down. Washington's got the capability within their system to motion and shift and and spread and to bubble screen and to get the ball out. And and last year in the matchup at the Alamo Bowl, right, they sustained drives. They didn't sub. They they kept those guys on the field. And I think that's going to be key. But that's going to be a game, to me, won by a team in the 30s. And I think the game in Pasadena is going to be a team won in the 20s. So okay, I before, think they're going to feel and look a little bit different. Before we get to that game, with this kind of layoff, I would assume it it favors the better coach. And look, we can have – this is subjective. Mm-hmm. There are some people out there that think Sark is a better coach. I personally think DeBoer is that better coach. But is there something to having the time off, the better coach? And I know there's, there's also something to a team that comes in and they're so hot and they're in sync offensively. Mm-hmm. And we saw this mm-hmm. in 2010 with both Oregon and Auburn. And the offense just doesn't yeah. play like it played. Yep. But – you know, overall, just scheming and and getting the game plan ready, is there something to that? I think both these guys are awesome offensively, and, and their staffs are awesome, and Kyle Flood and the trust that he and Sark have through all their years in the NFL and college together, and, and the rest of their staff, Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb, awesome. So, And, and I think, frankly, Lance, if you had me and Lugs and, and Joel and McElroy and, you know, and Herbie, and you had 10 of us, right, and you asked this question on the next round, and said, hey, who are some of the – give me the three or four best schemers, play callers, innovators in college football and offense. I think every one of us would not go very far without saying Kalen DeBoer, Ryan Grubb, and Steve Sarkeesian, right? Because Ryan Grubb calls it. So it's it's DeBoer and his system. It's been their system for decades. So those, those two and Sark, they're going to be on the list. They're going to be on one hand for sure of the best in all of college football. Um, I asked Sark earlier this year, in that opener, I said, who do you lean into? You know, like Lance, you know, at the next round he goes and he studies, you know, the best radio guys in the country and around the world. If I know Lance, right? He, he tries to always <laughs> up his game and sharpen himself. And, and I said to Sark, it's a question that I like to ask these coaches. Who do you study? Who do you learn from? Who do you spend your off season analyzing and taking video of and watching what they're doing? And no hesitation. Do you know the name he referenced right away? Oh, Sarkeesian is going to go Cal Shanahan. Perfect. Boom. Nailed it. Crushed it. And they they have time together and they have spent time coaching together. And that is his guy. And he's in that McVay Shanahan tree. Like that's how he does it. And if you ask anybody in the NFL who's the best play designer, the best play schemer, the best play caller, it's McVay, it's Shanahan, and it's probably nobody close right now at the NFL level. So both of these guys are going to have their offenses ready to go. Both of them are going to try to take apart some weaknesses. Both defenses they're facing have some weaknesses. Texas has a true freshman corner that plays a lot. The other two corners are pretty league average. Uh, they got a little undersized nickel. Right, They've got some places. One of their linebackers didn't cover particularly well. So they've got spots to, to pick apart. Washington the same. How healthy are their safeties? They finally got a little healthier year end. 
if they're fully ready to go, then they're not as vulnerable back there as they have been through the second half of the season. They've got a very average corner. They've got some undersized linebackers. So there's going to be places for both of these guys to pick apart. And that's why, like I said, I think this winner is going to be somewhere in the 30s. Okay. Well, you've got a one possession game here. You lean Washington. Yep. At least in the Sugar Bowl. So Can we go to the other one side? more thing, by the way, just yep. one other little nugget uh, that is a bit surprising. Texas situationally on defense is awesome. Second in the country on third down defense, number 12 in the country in red zone defense. So situationally, they're awesome defensively. Offensively, they're putrid. Offensively, you look at the numbers and you're like, how? How, how is that possible with Quinn Ewers, with Worthy, with the run game, with this offensive line, tight end, Sanders, awesome. How are you 69th in the country? in third down conversions. How are you in the hundreds in scoring red zone touchdowns? Like those things don't really add up. And those aren't like a little anomaly. They were the same thing the year before. Those were the two areas going into this season that I asked Sark about. Like, And he pointed to some protection. He pointed to Quinn, who did get a little more creative this year, was able to use his legs a little bit. But watch that in particular. When you're watching Monday night, third downs and red zone. Who wins those? And if Texas does not up their game there and score touchdowns and stay on the field, then it might be more than a one-score game in favor of the Huskies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like last year, Texas, one of the reasons I thought that they would be so much improved, eight and five last year, all five losses by seven or less. That's right, one score. And a lot of that comes down to, you know, not converting those red zone opportunities. So I do agree with you. Fascinating game. Can't wait for it. Other side, Rose Bowl, Alabama, Michigan. Michigan still a one-and-a-half-point favorite. Everybody I talk to that is on the inside, guys mm-hmm. like you are like, wait, Michigan's favorite? I don't I don't see what Las Vegas right. is seeing here. Right. But I, I don't know what to say about Michigan offensively. I have no idea, Brock, because they haven't had to do anything. Like, they've just been able to hand it off to Blake Corum, and, mm-hmm. and you know, I think Zach Zinter not playing, it's an big. All-American guard, that's it's big. Uh, yep. But defensively, For people that think Alabama is going to go out and slay this defense, I don't see that. I mean, Mm -hmm. so I know you said it plays into the 20s. How do you think ultimately um, who wins and why? Yeah, the second most impressive team, by the way, purely eye test was Michigan. And again, I didn't get to see Alabama. Alabama, Georgia probably would be right there, if not better, if I got to see them right off the bus. But for us, the second best team we saw was Michigan because their front was gnarly. They're, they play four different ends. They're all 250-plus pounds, which you have to have against Milrow and have to have against Alabama to set that edge, to set that run game, to keep him between the tackles where he's not at his best um, and, and keep him in the run game contained. You need edge players. They play four of them. They're all really good. They're 2D tackles. One of them's a 330-pound monster. The other's Chris Jenkins' son, a little bit undersized to 290, but unbelievably athletic. They can roll there. Their linebackers are 240 and 250 pounds. They can both play. So their front is salty. Their front is SEC-esque. Their front is going to be able physically to go toe-to-toe with Alabama in ways they never would have, Lance, in 09 and 12 and 16. So that is why, as I said, I think this game's in the 20s. You ranked your quarterbacks, and I ranked mine a little bit different. I put Penix at number one. I actually put J.J. McCarthy at number two. And maybe I'm totally biased because I love winners. I love those that just elevate everybody around him no matter what the situation is. And he has done that. He's changed Michigan. He's going to – 
If Jim wants to be there, he's going to have a $100 million contract, and he can point to J.J. McCarthy as the difference maker over the 10-plus years he's been there because he's the one that walks in the room. He's the one that walks in the huddle, and the guys believe it no matter what it takes. And if we run it every time against Penn State because he's nicked up, fine. If he's got to run and scramble and make plays to do so against Ohio State and beat Ohio State back-to-back seasons, he's capable of doing it. So I actually put J.J. number two. I'll put Milrow three. And for me, Quinn – because of those situations, because of that stage, because I need to see him do it against a, a quality crew for four quarters, I probably put him number four on that QB list. So I would give a – I understand where Vegas is coming from because I think they point to JJ. I think they point to Jim. I think, I think they point to a style that says – Kind of like Pete Carroll in the NFL play, frankly, Lance, which bothers me a lot as <laughs> uh, a fan and, and as an analyst of them. But it is, hey, man, we play the game to get to the fourth quarter, and then we're going to find a way to win. Okay, let me ask you this, though. If they get down 10 or 14 points, and look, nobody wants to be in that situation, but when you look at it, and you don't see this a lot, Alabama's got not one but two All-American cornerbacks, Terion Arnold and Kool-Aid McKinstry. Yep. Is J.J. McCarthy good enough to beat those guys as the guys on the edge? He's going to have to do it running. He's going to have to do it um, to, with his tight ends. He's going to have to do it in play action. He's going to have to do it. He may have to run for 80 yards plus in this game, maybe 100 yards. And if he's fully healthy and maybe this five-week layoff was the best thing for him, we don't really know exactly what was going on physically with him. They kept that pretty darn quiet. But I think he. this is a game where you've got to say, hey, man, you know, you're going to have to tuck it. And if those guys are covered up on the perimeter – and you know what? We get in some of our spread stuff. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to run you a ton, and or it's gonna be you and Blake, and it's gonna put those guys in a little bit of conflict on the other side, and make them read, and make them think, and make them react a little bit, and then the play action off of it. He's not gonna throw for three hundred yards. They do not have that kind of personnel to your point to attack those all American kind of corners. It's gonna be tight ends. It's gonna be run game. It's gonna be messy. It's gonna be ugly. It's a game that they would love to win 20 to 17. Heck, they'd love to win 12 to 10 if they have to. And I don't think he or that team is afraid of playing that style. I continue to hear this, and I believe it based on, you know, watching Michigan a lot this year. They haven't seen a quarterback like Jalen Milrow. But I'll ask you this. When McCarthy was healthy, how much of a benefit was it for this defense to see him even in practice? Uh, a little bit. Yeah, you're not going good on good a ton. Now, you may lead up to this game and do a little bit more than you do in the regular season, Lance. Maybe there's one period a day in practice during the season where you'll go good on good, right? Starters versus starters. But there's very usually very little of that and certainly very little contact involved with it. Now, as you crank up over this five-week stretch, have you spent maybe a little bit of time doing that? Possibly. Have you maybe put a, a different guy um, that's not a quarterback into some of those modes and some of that scout team spot to, to run around and try to extend those plays and play with the speed uh, that Milrow plays with? You can. But ultimately, yeah, ultimately it's going to come down to what I said, those edges and those guys setting that edge and making sure you just swallow that pocket. What they did to C.J. Stroud two years ago, right, and what they've done at times to talented quarterbacks is huge. And I know that feeling, and it's a miserable feeling. You want air. You want space. It'll be the same thing in Texas, Washington. They'll try, both teams will try to do the same against quality QBs, right? You want to make them. You want to suffocate them. You want to suck the air out of that pocket and squeeze it. The better each of those teams do in these matchups, the better likelihood that team's going to win.
It is Unlocked with Fox's Brock Hewitt here on Disrupt the Media. Make sure you like, subscribe, give us a thumbs up. It is brought to you by MyBookie. Use that code next round. Get that first deposit bonus from MyBookie.ag. So Christmas night, everybody felt like it was the two best teams in the NFL as Baltimore headed to San Francisco to take on the Niners. People were like, why is San Francisco a six-and-a-half-point favorite? And I told them at Lance'sLock.com because San Francisco is the best team in the NFL by far. I laid the six-and-a-half. Brock Purdy comes out, completely shits the bed. Four picks. I think that's an anomaly, though. Am I wrong? Like, I don't think that's going to happen again. I think San Francisco gets to reset from this, this point on. Final two regular season games. We'll see if they play the starters in, in, in the final week and then to the playoffs. Um, do you have any concerns with San Francisco? Not in the NFC. There's not a Baltimore in the NFC. And Philadelphia is not that anymore up front. I don't know what's really happened to them, Lance. That, to me, is one of the biggest surprises this year. And I know they lost Hargrave and, and some of their personnel. But, my gosh, last year they were so dominant in their front. And they are not that way anymore. So there is and no Baltimore. And I think Baltimore. they've worse, right? Like, yes. you know, first 10 games of the season, I was like, they're not as good as they were last year. Right. But they're still one of the three best teams in football. Yes, and now that's kind of deteriorating, and there's a lot of finger pointing. There's a lot of issues there, but just just like to a man, just physically, they're not they're not what they were a season ago. And there's not that team in the NFC. Detroit is not equipped. Hutchinson's a nice player, but they're not equipped in any way to do what Baltimore does, and that is just an onslaught of seven or eight D linemen, two of the best, fastest linebackers going in the game, and they just they punch San Fran. I mean, they just physically punched them right in the face, offensively, defensively. They knocked dudes out of the game. Right. Uh, Trent Williams goes down with a groin, changes the whole game. Backup tackle goes down with an injury. So they just they just physically harass them and physically punish them. And no, I don't think there's another team in the NFC that will be the one seed. They will get that by. Um, but some of those injuries, uh, what, what what that game showed you is that Purdy does have to have some people in front of him. Right. He does have to have what I just got done talking about. Some of that space and some of that air in the pocket. Not the biggest guy, not the strongest arm guy, but if he is protected and plays in rhythm, he is still very, very dominant. Baltimore took him out of both of those things, hit him, harassed him, knocked the ball around, knocked people out of the game. Yeah, and I think just made a statement uh, that, you know what, we don't like being underdogs. We never should have been an underdog, and we're the most physical team going in the NFL today. Well, th this leads me perfectly to our final point here on the NFL in the chaos the playoff picture is right now because my Rams sit there – at eight and seven, and yep. if they went out, Seahawks at eight and seven. Yep. Yeah, they went out. They're there. Uh, doesn't matter what happens. The fear is they go to New York. They play the Giants. They're six and a half point favorites. But then they close at San Francisco, and with mm -hmm. San Francisco losing to Baltimore, San Francisco might have to win out to get that number one overall seed. Yep. I will say, watching the Rams play Baltimore two weeks ago, I think they're as good as anybody right now in the NFL. I really do. When they're playing their best, just the way Stafford is playing right now, the way that offensive line, Kyron Williams is a different maker in the backfield, best running back Sean McVay has had up until this point. So the NFC right now. Best running back since Gurley. Healthy Gurley, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I, I pull that back 100%. Ty Gurley um, in 18 and 17 were was incredible. Yes. Um, okay, so of those teams, though, like Philadelphia doesn't scare you. Detroit doesn't scare me just on the, based on the fact that it's Detroit. I don't know why. They're obviously better than they've been. Um, but of these wildcard teams, Seattle, the Rams, possibly Minnesota, uh, maybe even Tampa Bay 
if mm. they go on to win the do any of those teams are could could one of those teams make a run to the NFC championship game? Gosh, San Francisco is is tough. That that week, that last game of the regular season will be fascinating to see. And we'll see just how healthy both are. And it always comes down to that, Lance. Like, you know, the Rams have put it together. The Rams have been able to stay healthy, right? And, and had their horses, and there's Cooper and there's Stafford and Puka Nakua and the Kyron's back. And like you just this league is so much about that. I, I hate to just fall back on that always, but it is more than what I played 20 years ago. You know, and, and I don't know if that's the way guys train or the way guys seemingly get hurt or the way they don't practice much anymore. Whatever, for whatever reason, it just seemingly always comes down to attrition. And if you tell me the Rams have everybody and they're all going and they are fully healthy, you're right. I, I think they match up with every one of those teams, certainly better than my Seahawks do. Right? I mean, the Seahawks are, are still a flawed team. They can't win the line of scrimmage. They don't stop the run. They don't run the ball well. And the Rams have been able to do that. So we point to the playoffs, and we'll continue to do this. And I love this. And I missed you last week, man. That was not fun missing one of these uh, segments with you. But as we do, it's the line of scrimmage, and it's attrition. You tell me who's got it going the most at the line of scrimmage, and you tell me the team that's the healthiest, and that those are the teams that are going to be standing there in February at the end. And the I think- only thing I would – the only uh, hole I would shoot in your theory is now that we go to the AFC, that playoff picture, is how in the hell do the Cleveland Browns continue to win? And I know they've got a really good defense, but when you lose yep. Deshaun Watson and Nick Chubb, yep. there it just they're doesn't – They're salty at the line of scrimmage, man. They yeah. are freaking salty at the line of scrimmage on both sides of it. And, you know, we've seen some of these stories, man, some of the storybook stuff. Like, how do – are you serious, Joe freaking Flacco? Really? Joe Flacco off the couch? Yeah, yeah, Joe Flacco, because he can still throw a ball 80 yards, and he's just given these guys life, and he can spin it much better than Deshaun could spin it and better than DTR could spin it and better than anybody else there could spin it. And, uh, yeah, man, line of scrimmage still, you know, still holds true. You know, holds true on Titus's eighth grade football team, holds true on the high school state championship game that I watched here in Colorado, holds true at the collegiate level, which we'll see Monday night, and then certainly in the NFL, line of scrimmage still plays. Okay, San Francisco, I feel like it's going to get the one seed in the NFC, but in the AFC, it really comes down to two teams right now, and they play this weekend, Baltimore hosting Miami. And what's crazy is if Miami was to lose to Baltimore and then lose to the Buffalo Bills in the season finale, Buffalo would actually win the East. Miami could drop all the way to a sixth seed. Yep. But how important is it, not only for these two teams, but for the entire AFC? Like Baltimore wins, they've got home field. You got to go through Baltimore. Miami wins, you got to go through Miami. I know there's some heat concerns and things like that. The only way Miami can go to a Super Bowl is to get the one seed. Agreed. But I would think all of the other teams in the AFC want Miami to get that number Correct. one seed outside of Baltimore, right? Totally agree. Totally agree. And, and I think when Baltimore, and I think you and I talked about this before the season, some of our preseason predictions and everything else, and I think we had, did you have Baltimore in the Super Bowl? I think I had we, Baltimore against the Eagles. Yep. And I think I had Baltimore seeing Fran maybe or something like that. But it just, it feels like, gosh, when Baltimore plays motivated, when they're on tilt, when they just want it and they've got any kind of edge and certainly Monday night, all of the national talking heads and that line and everything else put such a boulder on their shoulder that they went in there and just knocked the bully out. And um, the biggest challenge now is coming off a little shorter week, expending all that energy, expending all of that emotion. They're the favorite team this week. You're not hearing people, you know, diminish the Ravens. You're having to handle prosperity which is still very difficult to do in sport, but when they play to their when they play to their talent, when they play to their standard, when they play their best, Lance, 
I think the Ravens will be the number one seed. Okay, when we talk again, our national championship matchup will be? <sighs> Give me Washington, Michigan. What everybody wanted in the Rose Bowl anyway. At least everybody on the West Coast wanted. Yeah. 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 Give me a Washington, Michigan remake of the 1991 national title, quasi national title yeah. Rose Bowl. Oh. Okay. So Alabama fans have already penciled them, themselves into Houston because I've talked yep. to a lot of people. We're not going, we're saving our money for Houston. Mm. And if Texas wins the Sugar Bowl, that ticket's going to be massive. It doesn't matter if it's Michigan or Alabama right there in Houston. Yeah. Yep. But I've talked to Alabama fans, and I'm like, who would you rather play, Washington for the first time or Texas? And they all say we'd rather play Washington. I'm like, you're insane. First of all, Texas would have to beat you twice in a year. Yep. Uh, the ticket is going to be so much more expensive if it's, if it's Texas. Yep. But people don't realize Kalen DeBoer doesn't lose against nope. ranked teams. And if he nope. beats Texas, yep. that's just going to be another notch in his belt. No, but I think a lot of the Alabama fans, you know, have that feeling and you, that perception that you've got to change if you're a West Coast team. And that is, yeah, man, get on the stage and it's bully ball. We're bigger, we're stronger, more physical. It's, you know, what Booger McFarland was saying with big boy football. Like, and they saw it in 2016 and they've seen it with Oregon in the, you know, in this new playoff. And they saw it with Oregon versus Auburn. And they're just not going to buy that a finesse West Coast team is going to win on that stage because that's not really happened since what Pete Carroll in the 2000s and he built a team <laughs> that was very much an SEC-esque big boy football team as well so yeah I, mean, I can't wait it's going to be an awesome awesome new year's can't wait to do this next week and holy cow we're going to have a lot to talk about down the stretch okay well look enjoy your travels you're going to New Orleans right I am uh, saving up for Houston Okay, so, oh, here yes. we go. Washington, a little confident, too. Uh, New Orleans, probably uh, not your scene anyway. I've, no, I've never been to Bourbon scene. Street and had a yeah. nice glass of passing time. I was on Bourbon Street at 1 in the morning after Carter Blackburn took me to some place and down some stairs, and I left there sprinting like Forrest Gump back to the hotel. Like, where am I? Yeah, and there's was... horse manure everywhere. There's crazies yeah. out here. So, no, New Orleans, not my kind of town. Great place. That I, love I, I love it. I love it. A lot of fun, but get me to Houston next week. <laughs> you were probably in a place called the Dungeon, if I'm guessing. Oh, who knows? It's a, yeah. been some years, and I tried to flush that scary memory away. <laughs> okay, well, look, I uh, enjoy uh, the games. Happy New Year to you and the Heward family. Uh, look forward to doing this like you next week, and uh, we'll have a lot to talk about. Oh, well, we sure will. Let me give you one last piece of New Year's advice. Take that blower over to your neighbor's house and blow his leaves, and it will blow his mind. He'd probably shoot me. <laughs> Go blow his leaves and blow his mind. That's my I only counsel. I love this, this advice. I'm going to have to make this poll question on the uh, next round tomorrow. Okay. Again, Happy New Year. It has been Unlocked with Fox's Brock Heward right here on Disrupt the Media. Like, subscribe, give us that thumbs up. It is always brought to you by Lance'sLock.com. Free play every single day. Jump on board. Bowl package, the playoffs. Go to Lance'sLock.com. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, see you, bud.